Identity. Identity. How do you find it? How do we come to know ourselves, to know who we are? Uh, These days, many people believe that identity is found inside yourself. You look inside yourself, and that's how you come to know who you are. Only you can tell you who you are. How many have heard that expression? Please raise your hands. Hi. Only you, thank you, can can know, can tell you who you really are. Well, I want to suggest uh, this morning that if you, if you believe that, you are likely to be misled. This is the sentiment, the idea that uh, kind of gives rise to the conviction that if somebody says something, if you say that you are something that you feel inside, then everyone around you should be affirming that as well. But if you think that you can know yourself by yourself, it sets you up to be misled. I think it belies a fundamental misunderstanding of how we actually come to know ourselves and, and actually what it is to be human. So let me, uh, let me ask you about this name. Let me ask how many of you would know what story I'm talking about if I say the name Mowgli. How many of you know what story that is? Look at that. Of course, Mowgli, right? The beloved central character of the Jungle Book. Okay, originally a book by Rudyard Kipling, taken over by Walt Disney. Um, and whatever rendition you might have experienced that book in, uh, or that movie, The Jungle Book, all right, you know the story. Mowgli is one of these children lost in the jungle by mistake and raised by wolves, right? So that's something we're going to think about today, because here's someone who is brought to themselves and are, and are, and are alone, and uh, Mowgli goes through these, this jungle romp with the animals and then eventually comes back, is reclaimed by society, by human society. So children, this is going to be your first drawing. We have our children with us today, and we do this once a month, try to bring our children into the worship service because they're so important to who we are. They're so important to our community, and we want to recognize that. So we, we try to arrange things to be able to have a worship experience together. And so children, you're with us today. And if you're coming along and following along your guide, this is your first drawing. I want you to draw somebody who was raised by animals. What would that person look like? What would that child become if he were raised or she were raised only among the animals? That's your first drawing for today. Okay? Now, it might interest you to know that there are actual historical cases where this has taken place. These are called feral children. They're children who, for some reason, strange circumstance, actually do get lost. Usually happens on the edge of a wilderness or a forest, some some, uh, jungle-like area. And children are, at times, lost. It's happened in history. And sometimes it's for a long time, and somehow they do survive... And, and sometimes for years, and then they actually are reclaimed, they're found. It's like, oh, you know, wolf girl or, you know, uh, chimp boy they find in, in the jungle, right? And uh, these people come back. 
But let me tell you, the story goes very differently than what we get in the Jungle Book, in Kipling's tale. Yeah, it actually is not like that at all. If you have a feral child deprived of human contact uh, in the formative years, uh, and I've read studies on these children, actually. They, they do sometimes go on all fours, and then they have to learn to walk when they come back into uh, human society. And, and some of them can actually learn to walk upright, but they never learn to run. Some of them learn to talk, but even the ones who learn to talk end up with a vocabulary of about 50 words for the rest of their lives. So they can talk, but most actually never do learn to talk. They, they have developmental disabilities and asociality that plague them uh, for the rest of their lives. That's what it's really like. They eat like a dog very often. They can, be, they, can, they can learn to eat with their hands, but that is another trial that they undergo. So all, all sorts of permanent damage comes about when you have feral children. But wait, wait a second. These are people who live out that mantra. These are people who, who depend on no one else to know themselves. This is the perfect experiment because these are people who look in themselves and have nobody else to tell them who they are. They find their identity completely on their own, aren't they? And yet, instead of having people who are well-adjusted, happy, and fulfilled, you have people who have lost what it is to be human. Contrast that, my friends, with the picture of life that we get this morning given to us in Romans 12. Please stand with me as we hear this reading of the Holy Scriptures. From again, Romans chapter 12. Let's listen. Good morning. I'll be reading Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 13 from the English Standard Version. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with seal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Thank you very much, Mark. Please be seated. Yes, uh, it's a happy day for us today. Welcome to our Covenant Entrance Day here at Ironworks Church. This is what we call our Covenant Entrance Day, where after a process of consideration and consultation, we have a group of people who have decided they are joining our church and they are taking the vows of membership today. What they're doing is they're committing to saying, this is a church where I live. And we want to honor that commitment that they're making today as they make that commitment and welcome them into membership. So it's a happy day for us today. And what's interesting about what we just read is that this passage tells us what committed life in a church looks like. And uh, children, if you are drawing along here with us this morning, this is your next drawing that we want to do. You want to take these things that you see in the passage, serving, teaching, exhorting, contributing, leading, showing mercy. You want to draw that. What does that look like to you when people are doing that in a church? Because this is what people do in the church. It's kind of amazing when you think about it. This was written 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world. And yet we recognize it as soon as we read it. Well, this is what happens in a Christian church, don't we? We look at this and say, yeah, this is is actually what goes on in a Christian church. So even though this was written so long ago and so far away, what what we're seeing, I think, is, is how the Holy Spirit forms a Christian community. It is through what's described here. Verse 13, show hospitality. What is the the writer talking about, Paul? It means people are welcoming one another into our lives. Verse 12, we're praying, right? Verse 13, we're giving money, right? We still do that. (laughs) Even today, this is what happens in a church. And we advocate that here. We advocate tithing, which is taking 10% of your income, giving it to your local ministry. Um, We do that because... That's what the scriptures encourage us to do, to to find out who we are, to find out what it is to live an authentically human life. Uh, And that's why we have the Mercy Fund that we fund here as well, and we have the deacons to help those who are in need. And uh, we we take those contributions, try to steward them well here. See that in verse 13. These are things that, that tell us what it truly means to be human how to find out our identities. That's what I would, I would suggest to you this morning. That what we're actually getting in this passage is how we come to know ourselves as people, to know our identities. And so it tells us what we need. So it's, it's worth taking a few moments, a few minutes, to look at what we need from this passage. We don't have a lot of time to do it, but just let's take a look and say, what is this passage telling us that we need as we read through these gifts? Well, I would say three things. Number one... We need to serve. If you look at verses 9 and 10, it's like all about how to love each other. This exhortation of loving one another. The the passage goes on after this, the next passage, to talk about living in harmony with one another, not in revenge, but in harmony with one another. And so this here is telling us how we need to encourage people to be serving in, in their church. And, you know, that's what we do here actually spend a lot of time doing uh, this, helping people find out how they are talented, uniquely gifted to be serving one another in a church. 
And if, if you have trouble doing that, if you say, well, I don't have any gifts, I don't know what I should be doing, then I encourage you to talk to the leadership. Talk, talk to Josh here, Josh Olson or Laura Williams, because I can tell you, they sit around thinking about ways to help you find your gifts. They do. They actually do. Um, so they're, they're wonderful ones to talk to if you have a question about that. And they they're, think about ways like, what are the programs we could do to help people find out uh, what is their way of contributing to the c- Christian community? And it's not always easy to do. I'm not saying, oh, this is just a, a, a quick thing to figure out. Sometimes that's, it's an involved thing. It's not always immediate that we are able to discover that about ourselves. But we are committed to helping you to do that. You see what this is doing, this passage? It's actually turning us into the opposite of feral children. This is the way we learn, not only to walk, but to run. So that's the first thing we need to serve. Number two, we need people telling us things. Okay, a lot of these kind of word gifts, verse six, even the first one, if you see in verse six, prophecy. Now, some people would read that and say, well, this talks about prophecy. Why are, not, why are we... The Bible talks about us doing prophecy. Why are we not doing prophecy in this church? And we understand the Holy Spirit to be giving different gifts at different times. And in that first generation of the apostles, the Holy Spirit was giving prophecy that was delivered audibly, delivered orally to the church. And upon that foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the church was built we understand that prophecy then got inscripturated in, into the Bible, what we have as the New Testament. And so that's our prophecy, is the New Testament is our prophecy that we rely upon and we hear the Holy Spirit through. But I would say the Holy Spirit continues to work in inspiring speech. You know, so I'm comfortable with the word prophetic for, for recognizing what the Holy Spirit does in our midst that he still inspires people prophetically to apply that word, that inscripturated prophecy that we have in our midst. And that's why, by the way, we stop the, the, the church service and, we, and we, we get it all quiet and we invite people to speak, anybody to speak a scripture or a word that has meant something to them this week or uh, an inspiring um, understanding that they have come to. And we invite you to speak that out, anybody. We believe the Holy Spirit, I, I do, I believe the Holy Spirit works through that, and I am always listening very closely, you know, even if I happen to be in the back doing a doodle dance, I want to come forward and hear that part of the service, because I'm listening for the Holy Spirit there. The Holy Spirit really does move there. And so we get these words for one another that are spoken in our midst. Sometimes those words are affirming. Sometimes those words are challenging or denying of us. Sometimes they make our hearts sore. You know, and other times they make our hearts sore. (laughs) They give our hearts sore. So it's either sore or we sore in our hearts through these words from the Holy Spirit. But they are, that's what we need. We need people telling us these things. Okay, because it helps us to understand how we're human. You look at verse 11, where it says, don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent. It's telling us literally what it is to be human. It's saying to us, you are not a ground sloth. You are not a giant ground sloth. You're a, you're a human being, okay? You're not going to get that in the jungle, that you're not a ground sloth. But here, verse 11, this is where you get it, right? 
So here in community is where we learn who we are, where we learn our identity, where we learn not only how to talk, but how to sing. The Christian church. So that's what's going on here today. Number one, we need to serve. Number two, we need people telling us things. And the third thing I can see in this passage, we need to have a direction to our community. There are plenty of communities that people form in their, uh, in their lives for basically mutual support and affirmation, but there's not a direction to it. What we see in this passage is that the church is a place of moral consciousness. You look at verse 9. Hate evil. Abhor what is evil. The church, the Christian community, is where we learn to hate evil. You might not know that. A Christian has to have hatred as part of his or her life. Yeah, hatred is an important part of a Christian's life. You have got to hate evil. And you're not going to hear that except in a church, are you? You need to hate evil. You need to love the things that are good. Right? Stirring you up to goodness. That's what happens here in a church. Verse 12 directs us to pray. Verse 12, again, points us to rejoice in hope, to be patient. There's a direction to where we're going. This is what the community gives us. So the people that are about to stand up that you're going to watch today, there are people who have gotten beyond the idea of saying, oh, you know, I hate organized religion. No, these people are now saying, yeah, you know what? Actually, I need organized religion. I don't hate organized religion. I find I actually need organized religion in my life because I need these kinds of things going on in my life to understand what it is to be who I am, what it is to be human. That's what's going on. Doing these things, we find out who we truly are. We find our identity. So if we take these, these things that we need, we find... That all of this, verse 6, is according to the grace that's been given to us. Okay, you see that in verse 6? All of this depends upon the grace that has just been explained to us in Romans chapters 1 through 11. All of it depends on what we have been given. And you can't have this kind of community unless you have the grace first that brings us into that community. You can't do it. You can't, you can't come to this place where you, need, where you have these things operating without the grace. You know, I was just yesterday actually talking to a person who was understanding this grace for the first time. And as we talked about what it meant, and she was realizing she was forgiven even though she didn't deserve it. And this was something she was understanding in her life for the first time. And, and she was in tears about it. It was changing her life that grace. That's the place, that's what's going on here in the Christian church. You have these other things that you might see going on in other communities, but really what you have here that makes all the difference is that grace. Here we learn about Jesus Christ. Here we exalt Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Here is where we allow that grace to start working in our lives for one another.